You're listening to The Alligator Podcast, a podcast where the independent Florida alligator, the largest student newspaper in the country, discusses our latest stories on the University of Florida, Gainesville, and beyond. Subscribe and tune in weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud to hear our latest episodes on news, sports, and much more. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. Bounce out by P. Ryan. The Michael P. Ryan. Tight ropes to sideline. He's going to take it for the Gator touchdown. 88 yards. Hello and welcome to the Alligator Podcast. I am your host, Graham Marsh. You can find me on Twitter at Graham Marsh UF. Uh, today is the sports section of the pod. We are continuing with the Remember series. Um, basically, this is a series where we look back on old Florida moments, Florida sports moments, our favorite moments, possibly our least favorite moments, and we just talk about all kinds of things in, in big time Gator sports moments with the alligator sports staff um these these writers are fantastic writers we've we've covered tons of games um we spend countless hours copy editing each other's work um and we are we're pretty involved in florida sports to say the least so um basically we are spending as much time as possible with the alligator sports staff to discuss their favorite sports memories gator sports memories so today that said, I am joined once again by Dylan O'Shea. Uh, so, Dylan, um, before we get into your favorite Gator sports moment, go ahead and tell us where we can find you on Twitter and all that sort of fun stuff. We know you were on the pod last week, but for those that didn't hear, uh, go ahead and tell us once more um, where we can find you, where we can find your stories, how long you've been with the Alligator, and all that sort of stuff. All right, no problem. Everybody, you can find me on Twitter at Dylan O'Shea 24. I've been with the Alligator since uh, last summer. I got hired as a summer writer along with recent Alligator graduate Joseph Salvador uh, in the summer of 2019. Uh, recently, uh, in the past two plus semesters, I've covered baseball and men's swimming and diving. And next semester in the fall and also extending into the spring, you guys can come to me and other sports writers for Gators basketball content. So um, for those of you that are regular listeners, uh, Dylan was on the pod last week um, for our weekly news roundup. But today um, we get to both discuss our favorite thing, which is sports. Um, So we get to hop on the sports pod together and we've been talking about this for quite some time. So um, I'm excited, Dylan, and I'm sure you are as well. Um, so go ahead. Um, I'll let you do the honors. Go ahead and, um, talk about your favorite Gator sports moment. Um, why this is your favorite moment. And, uh, then we will get into the nitty gritty of this actual game. 
Well, outside of all the awesome reasons, uh, I have a few selfie reasons as well. Um, my favorite Gators sports moment or, or Gators game in general is the Florida Gators game against Auburn during homecoming week last season in 2019 on October 5th. Um, mostly because it was just a, a great atmosphere. Um, it was a tight game all throughout, even though the Gators always led. They never trailed in that game. But it was also the day that I turned 21. So that was kind of an extra little adage to make the day that just more special i had some friends in town in the stands and we definitely were celebrating um the whole way just because you know just the atmosphere um the one moment that i'd like to point out in particular that i think most gators fans or people who watch the game or even sad auburn fans who watch the game can pick out uh is michael p ryan's 88 yard run with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter that pretty much sealed it and knocked the air out of the Auburn Tigers and kind of <laughs> left left the stadium on uh, on on edge of uh, being torn to the ground by all the fans. So it was just a, it was just a great time, and we can definitely get into that in a second here. What are your thoughts on the game? Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm sure that you just you just hated turning 21 on a college football Saturday. Oh, it was absolutely dreadful. I hated every second of it. <laughs> I'm sure that's just that's. You know, that just has to suck, right? It's kind of like um, my birthday is actually New Year's Eve. So I turned 21 on New Year's Eve. And, you know, obviously it just sucked. It was just absolutely horrible. Um, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, in in terms of this game, in terms of this Auburn game, there's there's really so much to unpack. You know, I, I'm we, we could literally podcast about this game for four hours if we wanted to. Um, there's so much to talk about. There's so many different moving parts to this game and so many different things that made this game such a unique Saturday in the swamp. Um, kind of the first thing that I want to start with when talking about this game is for both teams, um, the turnovers. There, there were eight turnovers in this game. It was so bad. Trask's fumbles and aborted snaps in the first half uh, were absolutely terrible. I vividly remember that just like my hands on top of my head, everybody else in the stadium, just an absolute shock because the the Gators, even though they led the, like they were leading the whole game in a tight game, could not take care of the football. So the, the thing that I remember specifically is so Kyle Trask, two of those turnovers were strip sacks. Yes. Or was it three? Actually, it might've been three. I, I can't remember exactly. They were either strip sacks. I think one of them may have been an aborted snap. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I do know that the offensive line protection was a little bit shaky in the first half in particular, even though the Gators scored 17 points in the first half compared to seven in the second. Which when, when Auburn has defensive tackles like Derek Brown coming for you, um, it's not entirely unreasonable for your offensive line to have a tough day. Um, of course. What I, what I remember specifically about that is the offensive line should have performed better in the passing game, but also Kyle Trask, that was one of his first, his very first starts. Um, that was one of the, that was probably his first big game. Yeah, because his first start was obviously comes in, Felipe gets hurt, Felipe Franks gets hurt um, in Lexington at the Kentucky game. Then Kyle Trask steps in, brings the Gators back, they win that game. Then Kyle Trask plays against he starts against Tennessee um in Gainesville and that's his first start um and then yeah like you said this is this was really his first big game 
Um, and he played well outside of the fumbles. Um, but his yeah. pocket awareness was just nowhere to be found. It was, it was, it was nothing like I'd ever seen. I'd never seen someone sit in the pocket for that long and not even be somewhat curious what's behind him. Um, so it was almost, it was almost the opposite of a quarterback that gets happy feet and they like to run yeah. and scramble or get rid of the ball too fast. He was like the opposite. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a matter of holding on to the ball too long. A lot of quarterbacks have that issue. But his issue was just being a, a stand, just a rock. Like he just stood in one place. And it was like, dude, you got to move, man. Like I know that you're not some crazy quick athlete, but like you got to step into the pocket. You got to roll somewhere. Like something has to give here because Derek Brown is coming for you. And he's a top 10 NFL draft pick next week. Um, so that was interesting. But on the other side, while Kyle Trask couldn't stop fumbling the ball, Bo Nix couldn't stop throwing interceptions. No. Bo Nix threw three picks in that game. And all all the signs that pretty much everyone that played Auburn the whole year, all the all the joking signs of Bo Nix more like throws picks, like this game made that corny joke real. Like it it was like it was like any time but what was funny about Bo Nix's interceptions in that game is you know, I, despite the fact that he threw three interceptions, I didn't leave the game. One of the biggest takeaways for me leaving the game wasn't, oh my God, Bo Nix played so bad. I didn't think he had necessarily a horrible game. He obviously didn't have a great game. But what was weird about his interceptions is it seemed like any time he would start to build a little confidence and start to be throwing the ball better and start to be moving Auburn down the field, that's when he'd throw a pick perfectly timed it was so strange how he just weirdly timed out throwing his interceptions i definitely i definitely feel you on that one and, and going back to you know you know coming in coming into the game some things i wanted to focus on coming into the game were there were a few narratives coming to the game uh uf was definitely the underdog uh people were very unsure of how trask could play against what people considered going into the game an elite sec opponent and the Auburn Tigers, who were number seven, um, both yeah, teams so were five. Really, both really teams were five and zero, oh, and uh, two and zero oh in the conference going into the game. And I vividly remember, uh, you know, whether it be a few days leading up, uh, I worked in the the INC, and for people that don't know what that is, that's the Innovation News Center um, at UF. Uh, I worked for ESPN Gainesville at the time, and I remember a lot of the sports writers there, and also the sports writers in the Alligator Newsroom just talking about how they really didn't think that Florida can pull it off, you know, from like an objective standpoint, not like subjectively, whether they were Tigers fans or whether they're Gators fans, like they just objectively thought that Florida wasn't able to pull it off. They thought that Bo Nix was, um, even though he was a freshman, like an up and coming talent, which he very well could be, he has a few seasons left um, in Auburn to, to make his case as the first round draft pick. And, uh, elite college quarterback that the Tigers thought they're picking up. So that was another storyline, uh, how people thought that Knicks was going to outperform Trask and that they thought um, against an elite opponent, he would play poorly. And then uh, that would kind of spell the demise for Florida's season. Um, after the game, all of that was kind of turned on his head. All of those stories kind of did a 180. Uh, Florida walked out undefeated, 6-0. Trask, outside of his three fumbles, did play a good game. Knicks, who was seen as 
a talent getting better week to week progressing definitely hit a road bump at least even though you said that you don't think he played as poorly as others may suggest or as the stats suggest um people kind of said that he may not be ready for um the role of in like you know a top-notch uh elite sec quarterback uh and definitely I mean, I guess one storyline that stayed the same was the concern of the offensive line, which you can see that Florida did address in the offseason with its recruits. But outside of that, I don't know if you agree, but I think a lot of the storylines and a lot of the narratives coming to the game definitely turn on their head and did a 180, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in what you just said. Um. One of the first things is one of the first things I want to say is one of the last things you said. Um, about the offensive line concern. Um, so kind of like, like what I just talked about with Trask and, um, the pocket presence wasn't great. Um, I thought throughout most of the year, um, including this game, because again, I think that, that a lot of Trask's issues, a lot of his fumbles in that game were actually more on him than the offensive line because he had because he he was seemingly stuck in quicksand. However, yes. the biggest concern with the offensive line throughout the entire season, and this game was no exception, was run blocking. Because outside of yeah, outside of P Ryan's uh, eighty-eight yard run, he really got nothing going throughout the rest of the game. So outside of that run, because he had one hundred and thirty yards rushing for the whole game outside of that 88 yard run, which we're going to talk about later. Cause that was obviously the biggest play of the game. He had 42 yards. And if your workhorse, every down running back has 42 yards late into a football game, that's, that's an issue. Um, so the offensive line had that problem the entire year. Um, but then to kind of, to kind of backtrack even more, uh, like you were saying, how really Auburn was favored in this game by most people. Um, I I personally picked Florida to win because uh, over at um, at Sports Illustrated, who I cover the Gators for, along with the Alligator, um, we gave our predictions every week, and we would give score predictions. And I don't remember exactly what score I predicted, but I had Florida by about a touchdown. Um, and really. I more so only had Florida winning because Florida was at home and this was by far the biggest home game of the year. And I knew that the swamp was going to be sold out and just in, as Mick Huber says, an insane asylum. Yes. Um, and I thought that the swamp, a rowdy swamp for a freshman quarterback was going to be too much. Um, I know that Auburn had a really good defense this year, but I just didn't think that a freshman quarterback that relies a lot on his legs against one of the fastest defenses in his conference is going to play extremely well in that game. And that kind of takes me to the next thing that you were talking about when you were talking about Bo Nix, how he had been seen at that point as kind of this up-and-coming talent. Um, And he was really rising up the ranks as far as how people thought – about SEC quarterbacks, um, and this was kind of the game. Again, I, I know that I said that statistically, I, I thought that he played better than what the statistics might show, um, and I didn't think he played a good game, but I didn't think he was horrible. 
However, I will say this was definitely the first game where everyone could kind of take a step back and say, okay, this kid's still a freshman. Um, and in that game, he looked like a freshman by every account. Um, so all that said, um, and, and sorry to, to bring up one more point, um, like we were talking about with Auburn being favored, Auburn and Vegas liked Auburn as well in this game. Um, the line was Auburn minus two and a half, um, which is, you know, that's, that's about as close as you can get for a, for a line that's not a pick em. So it's not like it's not like Vegas thought that Auburn was going to kill Florida, but they had Auburn winning. And on a road SEC game, if you have a team winning at all in a road SEC game, you really like that team. Yeah, of course. So, Definitely. So I thought I thought all of those points were interesting. Um but let's get a little bit more into uh, the nitty-gritty of the game. Um, I thought something that was really fun to watch in that game was Florida's wide receivers really work. Because um, like we said, outside of that 88-yard run, Florida really wasn't running the ball well. Um, but Josh Hammond had a really good game. Freddie Swain, the first offensive play – or sorry, I think it was the second offensive play. Yes, the second offensive play that Florida has the ball, Freddie Swain catches a little crossing route and takes it to the house. Um, so tell me kind of your thoughts on that and the Florida receivers and the Florida offense in general and what you saw maybe out of Kyle Trask right then and maybe at the time what you thought that Florida's passing game could become. Well, uh, up to that point, you know, it, it looked as if Dan Mullen was kind of easing Trask into – the first team offense and kind of like loosening the reins bit by bit each game. But up to this point, I think, you know, to an extent throughout the season, Trask was at times uh, a uh, almost kind of like a Tom Brady type quarterback. When I, when I talk about the system, you know, like a lot of crossing routes, a lot of quick throws. I, I don't want to compare, you know, it's like, you know, talent or like just like an NFL system. I just want to talk about, you know, more so like making sure you get the ball out fast, mostly because, um, Traff's ability to sense pressure and um, Flores' offensive line issues. Uh, so I vividly remember Freddie Swain's catch on that slant about 15 yards off the line, uh, the left middle side of the field, um, you know, around the left hash, and kind of just like seeing that develop. And that was one of probably the second most exciting part of that game. Uh, and one, th one thing I'd like to kind of like, you know, diverge for a second. Um, outside of Florida's 64-yard pass to Freddie Swain, and 88-yard run by Michael Pirine. It was, those are the only two touchdown plays. So Florida really didn't have too many extended drives that resulted in, in you know, scores. With Trask and the system that he was running up to this point and Dan Mullen kind of loosening the reins on him each week, Florida was still definitely running um, almost like a, a West Coast pro-style offense for Trask in a way where he had a lot of slants and out routes and check downs, getting the ball out in two to three seconds maximum. And uh, this play was exactly that, just a way to, you know, try to get a first down at the beginning of the game, keep the ball moving. And uh, Freddie Swain caught the ball at the left side of the field around the left hash, left middle, about 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. Sitting in the, sitting in the student section, 
in that game in the the back the back right side of the stadium closest to the band and seeing that play develop and Freddie Spain catching it and then cutting up field and thinking he's going to get tackled and, and he kind of found this weird pocket where he's able to streak up the field and uh, up to that point when he when he got past the last defender and had about 30 yards left before the end zone um that was definitely an exciting moment as well not as exciting as Michael P Ryan's 88 yard run that we're going to talk about later but it was definitely a good juice for Florida and kind of knocked the wind out of Auburn a little bit, which didn't really score a touchdown until um, midway through the second quarter. Yeah, I, so, so Freddie, I mean, Freddie really had probably the best overall game out of any of the receivers. He had six catches for 146 yards. um, And then obviously the 64 yard touchdown. Um, And then Kyle Pitts had eight catches for 65 yards. Um, and then Josh Hammond had a touchdown as well. That was the, the last Florida touchdown. Um, and I just, I thought that this game was kind of a turning point in terms of basically every Gator media member, every Gator fan, and he wouldn't admit it at the time, but Dan Mullen, um, really saw that this team was just not going to run the ball well on a regular basis. It just wasn't going to happen because as much as Dan Mullen has shown in his career of calling plays that he likes to rely on the run game, it just simply was not in the cards for this team. And I don't know if that was because the Michael P. Ryan's running style doesn't cater to being a workhorse and he's a better complimentary back like he was the year before with when he split carries with Jordan Scarlett or if my personal opinion that this offensive line just wasn't getting the push they needed um, or what it was but this was kind of the game where we saw and everyone kind of collectively said, yeah, this team is going to have to throw the ball if they're going to win big games. Um, and that's what happened. And ironically, like I, like like we talked about, and we're going to mention the, the Michael P. Ryan run, ironically, a big-time run is what sealed the game. But other than that, what gave Florida the lead for the rest of the game was throwing the ball. And – Despite Trask's fumbles, he had three fumbles. I looked it up. He had three fumbles. And then Damian Pierce, remember when Damian Pierce got hurt? Um, he got a pretty nasty concussion in that game, and he fumbled on that run where he got hit. But Kyle Trask is 19-31, 234 yards, and then obviously the two touchdown throws. And that, that was against a defense that everyone at the time, and, and they were, I mean, they, they showed it the entire year, against a defense that was elite. Um, Florida, or Auburn's defense was no joke. So uh, I mean, yeah, th- their best game of the year, I think, even though they lost that game as well, was when they played uh, They played a close game against LSU. Oh, yeah. LSU. That, was the, only, that was the only team to play the offense close all year. That was the only defense to play the LSU offense close all year. So that, that defense definitely was no joke. Uh, just putting in some context for our listeners here. Yeah, for sure. Um, that defense, yeah, it was it was insane. So let's let's flip it um, to the other side of the ball. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Auburn's offense and Bo Nix and um, 
someone that I want to talk about, two people that I want to talk about, uh, Auburn's running back, Detarvius Whitlow, and also their wide receiver, Anthony Schwartz, um, against Florida's defense. I thought that this was one of Florida's most impressive defensive performances all year. Um, Because, again, like we talked about, Bo Nix, especially this past year, really relied on his legs a lot. Um, and that was working. Auburn was five and zero coming into this game. That was working until they met Florida's defense. Um, Florida was incredibly quick on defense this year. They're incredibly fast. Um, defensive linemen like Jabari Zuniga and John Grenard can really, really, really move. Um, and then you have. You have a secondary that, you know, the safeties, I don't I don't love the safeties, but I do love the corners. Um, in this game for Florida, I love everything that C.J. Henderson does. He was completely worthy being a top-ten draft pick. Um, I thought Marco Wilson was really good. I thought Trey Dean actually played one of his better games, even in a year that he struggled. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that defense and what you saw in that game. Well, just talking about Whitlow real quick, because that's one of the first movies you brought up. Um, I think, I mean, they did okay containing him. Uh, you know, just uh, he, he ran for, he ran 18 times for 81 yards. It's 4.5 yards a clip. His longest run was 16 yards, so they kept him from breaking a pretty big run. Um, so the run defense was okay, but I really think, you know, you highlighted the secondary later between um, the linebackers in the passing game, along with the corners uh, led by CJ Henderson and um, Trey Dean, who had a disappointing season, but a good game. Uh, they held Bo Nix to 11-27 passing, 145 yards, which is 5.4 yards a clip for a quarterback. That is terrible. Um, so, yeah, they definitely shine in the passing game when it mattered. Like you said earlier, they did put together some drives led by Whitlow with his solid downhill running um and but and they did get timely picks when they needed them the florida defense wasn't perfect that game but when the field got shorter they tightened up the most and that's when they made big plays which i think is a defense that is the most important time to tighten up uh and also another thing to highlight i guess to highlight the importance of the defense's uh, ability in this game to stop the passing game and also stop the run when it mattered was uh, Florida's offensive yards versus uh, Auburn's offensive yards. Uh, 398 for Florida, 269 for Auburn, which, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to punch it in the end zone and uh, keep the opposing offense to stalling as much as possible. Um, the Florida defense didn't do the best job. Uh, keeping Auburn out of Florida side of the field. But when they were there, they definitely tightened up and stopped them when it mattered. Yeah. And um, something interesting that I thought about with this game and part of the reason that I wanted to um, mention the turnovers first is that that's really the first thing we talked about. Um, I think the biggest difference offensively in this game other than the fact that Kyle Trask right now is just better than Bo Nix. Um, right. Which people who disagree with that right now, like Bo Nix could have a great year and a breakout year, but like if you think right now at this current moment, Bo Nix is better than Kyle Trask, you just haven't been paying enough attention to football. I'm sorry. Or you're a diehard Auburn fan. Um, but 
I think the biggest difference in this game was Florida's offense did not allow their turnovers to get to them as much as Auburn did. It just felt di- didn't didn't Auburn's turnovers just feel like a bigger deal? Well, in my opinion, they were a bigger deal based off of where they happened. Um, Florida's turnovers. Well, first of all, um, Florida's turnovers were all fumbles compared to Auburn's four turnovers, um, three of them being picks by um, by Bo Nix. I, I just remember how deflating it was for the Auburn fans in the building when Auburn would drive down the field, get inside the 20 or 30-yard line, and Bo Nix would throw a pick. Yeah. I remember one. I, I, I remember one for sure. Uh, I don't remember exactly what point in the game, and I can't pick out based off looking at a stat sheet which pick this was. Um, Auburn drove right down the field, uh, very quickly, looking to strike. Bonix sees he he throws he throws a seed to the, down like the uh, the right middle side of the field to the end zone. Uh, I forget if it was to a tight end or a wide receiver in the slot and it was picked off. And I think that was kind of the defining moment for a lot of people in the stands in that game that Auburn just wasn't going to get it done. They weren't going to punch the ball and they weren't going to score on a consistent basis. So you're right in that sense where the turnovers did feel more deflating for Auburn than they did for Florida. But I think it's placement. A lot of trash fumbles happened, you know, in the middle of the field or, maybe a little bit closer to uh, Florida's side. But yeah, you know, when the drive was kind of starting, you know, the first few plays and depending on how you handle it, that can be more deflating. But in my opinion, a turnover is more deflating when you drive down the field, you've put five, seven, 10 plays into it and you throw a pick right after maybe your most important player two in the game. And I think that's just so hard to bounce back from, especially with a freshman quarterback on the road in the swamp um he did have a few impressive comebacks earlier in the season um the most important one being his first game uh bonix's game against eventual first round pick for the chargers justin herbert uh in oregon throwing a game-winning touchdown pass with about eight seconds left so yeah he definitely he, he did have he did have experience in games uh with game-winning drives off-site or away but the swamp is just built differently, and I think it's so hard to come back from those devastating turnovers on the road as a freshman quarterback. Yeah, so um, something really quick to revisit that interception you were talking about, the um, the one where Auburn had driven right down the field. Um, you, yeah. were, you were just certain on that drive Auburn was going to score, right? That, that you There was no telling me they were not going to score a touchdown that drive. Um, and first of all, Bo Nix overthrew. Yeah, I can't remember either if it was a tight end or a slot receiver. I think it was a tight end. I know like, it was down the seam. Yeah, That's was, all I remember. It was, it was down the seam for sure. Um, and he overthrew him by about a mile. I mean, it was way over his head. I mean, like Yao Ming was not catching this pass. Yeah, and it fell right into the DB's lap. It was insane. I remember yeah, he was, was almost was surprised. A, he kind of like Donovan he kind Steiner. of like basket caught it. Yeah, it was Donovan Steiner in the end zone. Um, and the the reason I wanted to bring that up really quick was first I do agree with you that the placement of where the turnovers happened um, definitely contributed 
to making Auburn's feel more costly. Um, and I think they were more costly. Um, and also with, with Donovan Steiner intercepting that pass, I mean, like if, 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 if anyone follows me on Twitter or reads any of my stuff or has just ever heard me talk about Gator football, you know that I am not a fan of Donovan Steiner and I'm not a fan of Florida's safety room at all. I, I think it's by far their worst position on the team. And I think this coming year, because you have pretty much the exact same safety group as last year, I think if Florida loses like a game they have no business losing this coming year, it's because it's it's a lot of it's going to be because of the safeties. Um, but the the only reason I mention that is because as much as I don't think Donovan Steiner is that good, man, give me interceptions just seem to find him, don't they? I mean, th- that ball, that <laughs> in this case, pass just, it, it's like any of us could have been playing defense on that play, and Bonix would have thrown it right to us. It's like, the- oh my goodness. <laughs> Donovan Steiner wears number 13 for Florida. Bonix hit Donovan Steiner right in between the one and the three on his jersey. It's the most surprised, the most surprised human being during that interception, in my opinion, was Donovan Steiner. Yeah. And I like I said, I keep going back. Like there are just so many. The reason what makes this game so great, regardless of whether you're a Florida fan, an Auburn fan, or just a college football fan tuning into that game, or just being in the stands, there were so many defining moments that just stick to your brain. And I just, I kind of just picture. I remember going back. This was in the opposite side of the field end zone, so I was on the back right side. This was the left side of the end. This was the left. This is the left end zone. And on that overthrow, I kind of, do, do you ever remember playing backyard football with your friends and oh, a I? ball, a ball falling into your Only lap like that? And, and you do that and you do that weird frog jump because you're just not expecting it to hit you. And you're like, Oh wow. Yeah. The ball just hit me in the chest. You do that yes. like weird like frog jump with your legs. Like, Oh shit. Like, what do I do with it? That's kind of <laughs> what happened to Donovan Steiner. I, I just remember that ball hitting him in between the numbers, as you said, and he was the most surprised human being in that entire building. And he caught it and he watched the play develop and he watched the, he watched the ball fly out of Bo Nix's hands. And in my opinion, he's still the most surprised person when he caught that pass, because it was just such a terrible throw, such a deflating interception. You're not expecting it. Just the feeling in the air, like the smell, the taste, the sound, you could just sense that Auburn was going to just punch it in. It was going to become a close game. I don't remember what the score was during that. I don't know if they were about to take the lead. I don't know if they were driving to come back. I just remember how deflating it was for the Auburn side and seeing their little fan section on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of Ben Hill Griffin stadium, just go silent. You know, they're throwing their arms up in the air a second. And then the next second, they're all just like arms at their side, quiet, you know, being jeered at by the Gators fans. It was just an absolutely devastating moment for Bo Nix and the Tigers. Well, you know whose body language was right with all of his fans was Gus Malzahn. Yeah, of course. Do you remember when Gus Malzahn, it was right after that throw, and it's like it's like a meme now. Um, and CBS Sports was all over it. But it was, it was right when Gus Malzahn saw the pick and then like cowers down and like puts his puts his forehead in his palms and is like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so it the most surprised person in the stadium that that ball was thrown was donovan steiner 
the second most surprised person was Gus Malzahn because he was thinking touchdown on that play because Donovan Snyder was out of position. Everybody was. It, <laughs> Everybody was thinking touchdown on that play. That was right. such – the, Auburn had all the momentum. Even though they were down, they had all the momentum at that time. Oh, yeah. They had, they had every ounce of momentum. And, and you, you thought that Auburn was going to really silence the swamp for a minute, and then they just made it even louder. Um, in, in my opinion, I, I want to flip back real quick just for like a minute. There were so many parallels. Um, of course, these are two completely different games. Um, one of them was a comeback. One of them wasn't, you know, in, in this game's case. There were just so many parallels, in my opinion, to U.S. upsetting LSU the previous year. Oh, no. Uh, with, that, with, with that drive, that, that kind of felt like – do you remember LSU's second drive of the game against Florida in 2018? Because the first drive they drove right down the field with a balanced diet of passing and running, you know, Joe Burrow throwing the football, you know, during his first season at LSU, not yet the Joe Burrow that we were accustomed to last year. And um, a balanced diet where they're like two or three-headed – beast of a backfield and they were doing it again on the second drive they're in florida territory and they fumbled and that completely changed the vibe yes. of that game high polite i remember that joe burrow no yeah i remember that it just completely changed the vibe of that game and i i remember i was um i was writing i was actually broadcasting for espn gainesville at the time i was broadcasting that game so i was in the press box and I remember when that happened and I had a bird's eye view to it and just seeing the way that that, that vibe, that was just, that was just another moment of this opposing team is going to score. You know, this yeah. visiting team is going to score. There's nothing Florida can do to stop it. And a devastating preventable turnover occurs. And that just changes the momentum of the game. Yeah. And um, no, I completely agree with you. I, I think that's actually a really good parallel and, and that, that LSU game in a lot of ways felt eerily, eerily similar to the Auburn game. Um, there, There's more comparables than just that one with those two games for sure. Um, the last thing that I want to hit before we discuss the Michael P. Ryan run, um, because we can segue right to the P. Ryan run from this, is I want to talk about Anthony Schwartz. Um, the reason that I want to talk about Anthony Schwartz, who is a receiver for Auburn, is because he was a true freshman this past season, just like Bonix. And he was a big time get for Auburn. And more importantly, a big time loss in the recruiting trail for the Gators. Um, Anthony Schwartz is from Florida. He's from Fort Lauderdale. He went to American Heritage. Um, for those of you not familiar with American Heritage, they're a high school football powerhouse in Florida. Um, Quincy and Marco Wilson both went there. Um, and a whole bunch of other football players that you've heard of that are a pretty big deal went there as well. Um, that said, Anthony Schwartz in that game against Florida, against a school that he really considered going to in his home state, running the ball because he's kind of a Kadarius Tony type athlete player that gets a lot of jet sweeps and whatnot. Joystick player. Yeah. Running the ball, one carry negative four yards receiving not a single catch that was considered one of if not the biggest recruiting loss on the trail for florida the year before and the reason that that matters to me the reason that that's important is because look at lamichael p ryan now lamichael p ryan who made the biggest play of the game 
an 88-yard touchdown where he ran away from Auburn's defense, was told by Gus Malzahn that he was not fast enough to play at Auburn. And that's why Auburn did not offer LaMichael P. Ryan, who was born and raised in Alabama. And the reason that I just find that super interesting because we love to get super hype about who's getting who on the recruiting trail. And, you know, Georgia's getting all these guys, Bama's getting all these guys, Clemson's getting all these guys. And it's just interesting to watch things like this unfold. I, the, the fact that, and LaMichael Pirine remembered that. He brought it up in the post-game press conference about how Gus Malzahn told him he was not fast enough. Well, he seemed pretty fast in that 88-yard touchdown run that put away Gus Malzahn's Auburn Tigers, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, he didn't have a straight shot. It wasn't like he was untouched and was able to just gain a full head of steam and uh, accelerate extremely quickly. He bounced off. He, well, first, he bounced off to the right side and slipped off a tackle or two before he hit the right sideline. Um, so for him to for him to give a shoulder a stiff arm and then accelerate is just it's kind of like it's kind of a big middle finger to Gus Malzahn and the Tigers' defense, in my opinion, based off of what Malzahn's opinion of him was and uh, Michael P. Ryan's opinion of himself coming into the game. Yeah, um, and so. So while we're on it now, just tell me about your personal experience when you watched that run happen. Um, what was it like? What did it tell you about the game? What, what were your emotions? Give me, give me the whole, the whole nine yards. Uh, honestly, you, you know those. It was kind of one of those plays that developed in slow motion, and I'm not exactly sure why because. Comparing it, comparing it to, um, comparing it to the big touchdown at the beginning of the game, the sixty-four yard, uh, excuse me, the the sixty-four yard reception by um, Freddie Swain. Uh, that one, that one kind of, that that was kind of like a fast play, you know. Even though it was a long, even though it was a long play, it was sixty-four yards. That was definitely one of those plays that developed quickly, and you're like, oh wow, you know, it, it was kind of like the uh, the cannon. Just it's kind of like the uh, like firing out of out of a cannon. It was a great way to start for Florida. Um, this play was a little bit different. Florida was up seventeen to thirteen, deep in their own territory. The swamp was loud at this point because of the fourth quarter of the game. And I just remember like the um, Michael P Ryan getting the handoff and him him bouncing to the right side of the field and trying to run around the pursuing Auburn defense um, with their defensive ends linebackers and corners all running to swarm at him um and he slipped off one tackle a few yards in and then a little bit after the first down um he slipped off another one and at this time i was kind of just you know my whole thought process during this play was okay like you know good run got a few yards oh first down not bad and then all of a sudden after he slipped off the tackle you're kind of seeing him still on his feet and he didn't tiptoe out of balance, he kind of kept his balance and kept going. And there's this great moment. If everybody, if anybody wants to go back and watch the play, because I have, regardless of whether you're, um, you know, a fan of the team uh, or just a college football fan in general, go back and see the exact moment where he slipped off the tackle and kept his balance about 10 to 15 yards down the field everybody knew he was gone. It was just a foot race to the end zone. It was him and nobody else full head of steam. Everybody, 
it was one of those, it was just one of those really long plays where you knew the team had a touchdown before they crossed the 50 yard line yep. with the fans. The fans had about 10 seconds to celebrate or so before he crossed the goal line exactly. um, in Auburn territory. It was just one of those insane moments where Freddie Swain's play felt faster, but you didn't necessarily know he was gone until about 25 yards before he crossed the goal line. But P Ryan had about 70, like 60 to 70 yards of daylight with nobody ahead of him and defenders trailing behind him where you knew he was gone. And that was just one of those, you know, as a college football, like college football fan, um, I'm not saying whether you're, you know, if you're a Gators fan or not, I'm just saying as a college football fan in an atmosphere such as Ben Hill Griffin stadium in the swamp to just revel in and absorb and just take in, there was just so much energy from that stadium. It could have powered a city. It was absolutely insane. So I, I was, uh, it's probably obvious at this point, but I haven't directly said it. I was at the game as well. And I was also in the student section. And for those that don't know that where the run happened, it was on the opposite side of the field from the student section. So the alumni section. Yeah. So, so kind of like what you just said, um, from, from our angle on that side, you can't tell that he hasn't gone out of bounds. So it was like you said, I had the exact same reaction. I had to watch him run a couple yards, keep going to to understand that he didn't step out of bounds. Because kind of from that angle, it looks like that second tackle, it looks like the guy just kind of pushes him out of bounds. One of those plays where nobody falls to the ground, just kind of a shove out of bounds and we live to fight another day type thing. But um, when I saw he's still running and running hard, I'm like, oh my God, like, He's going to score. It's 17-13. Like, Florida's about to distance themselves. Like, this is a – like, they're really going to do this. Um, So, there's that. But I want to talk about this play from more of a – more of an X's and O's standpoint and more of the genius of Dan Mullen in this play calling. Um, This is classic Dan Mullen – working with what he's got um even when he might not have the best personnel and the reason i say that is because we have already talked about at length throughout this podcast and if you've watched the gators you've seen this and if you've seen anyone talk about it you've heard this past year florida's offensive line and run blocking were not great friends it just didn't work they were not run blocking well we've already talked about how michael p ryan was having a less than mediocre day up until this point, only 42 yards. But with this play, if you watch it pre-snap, this is not a play. This is not a heavy package play. Florida doesn't have two tight ends in the game. They don't have, I mean, spread offense don't really use a fullback, but there's no fullback in there. This is a four wide receiver play. And you got four wide receivers on the far left side, because the ball's on the right hash, you got four wide receivers with all this space to the left side. Well, that screams to Auburn, we're throwing the ball on the left side, especially when that's what Florida's done all game. But psych, we're actually going to run it to the other side. And the reason that this play broke is because Auburn didn't have anybody over there. If you watch the play, if you watch the beginning – you watch Freddie Swain kind of comes out for a bubble screen. 
and everybody else starts sort of blocking as if they're running a screen. And you've got four DBs for Auburn on the, they're literally outside of the left hash. And LaMichael P. Ryan has the ball outside of the right hash. So if he gets past these linebackers, there's nobody else there to touch him. And that's why when you watch the play live, it was almost weird. You felt like he broke one tackle and there was nobody else there. And that's exactly why, because Dan Mullen set this up with the passing success that they already had. And that's what made this all work, because basically – P. Ryan, like you said, he shake he shakes that initial tackle right at the line of scrimmage, and then he gets ahead of steam, and there's literally now one guy between him and the end zone. So he makes this one guy miss. This is going to be the play of the game and the touchdown of the game, and CBS Sports is going to show it all over everything, and it's going to be maybe the biggest play of the year for the Gators. And all of that because Dan Mullen set it up with four wide receivers to the left side. And I, I just... All of that is extremely interesting to me because you just you talk about recruits and coaches and getting the best of the best and the Jimmies and the Joes and whatever, but sometimes it really is as simple as just go where the defenders aren't. And that is really what this play was. The Michael P. Ryan pretty much makes he he kind of shakes somebody at the line of scrimmage, makes one guy miss, and that's that honestly, that's the game. Um, Because you knew, and kind of like we've already talked about this, but when he scores on this play, there's over nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, but you knew the game was over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I knew the game was over at this exact moment. Yeah, because with how much Auburn's offense had struggled, they were not about to come back and score twice to win this game. It just just wasn't going to happen. No, a two-possession lead for Auburn in this game is insurmountable with, with Bo Nick struggling as he was. Right, and with the Swamp just absolutely electric, like you said, it, it, like you said, the, the ability to power a city and the ability to shut down an offense to where when they're down that much, even with nine minutes left, there's just just forget it. Um, Auburn could have packed their stuff and went home then, and it wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, I definitely, for a second, I want to go back to the play design that you were talking about to give – um, our audience, our listeners, a little bit more context to what you're talking about. Um, I think that's brilliant analysis. The player, the only player that was really outside of the right field hash out of the 11 players was the defensive end. Everybody else had their toe on the right field hash or was farther to the left side, you know, from like the Gators point of view. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, you know, with, with all four of the Florida's wide receivers stacked to the left side, along with Michael P. Ryan starting out on the left side of Trask, the quarterback, and almost kind of a, a shotgun, and, and kind of like a shotgun, uh, like T formation. Um, and, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. Just go where the defenders aren't. This play wasn't designed to score a touchdown. It wasn't even probably designed to get a first down. It was just designed to get a fair chunk of yards at the beginning of a drive to run the clock with nine minutes left. What was absolutely brilliantly designed by Dan Mullen um, and Auburn's defense failed to adjust and see that they were overstacked to one side of the field. Um, You know, 
the offensive line didn't do a great job on this run. There was penetration by Auburn right away. Um, LaMichael Piran had to bounce off of a linebacker's tackle at the line of scrimmage and was able to regain balance to stay on his feet. And about 15 or 20 yards down, he was able to almost shoulder or dip under the tackle of uh, the last, kind of like the last line of defense for Auburn in their, uh, their safety that was kind of like, playing center field uh, in between the hashes. And after that, before the 40 yard line, he was already gone. Um, yeah. So that's definitely a testament to Dan Mullen's play calling and uh, the type of running that I think Florida wanted to do all season, but was unable to because of the offensive line play. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that the offensive line didn't even block that well, because I forgot to mention that Brett Heggie, the right guard, literally he is, Brett Heggie is um, giving a bump at the beginning on the defensive tackle, but that's Nick Buchanan, the center's guy. And then Brett Heggie has to get to the second level and block that linebacker, and he completely misses. Like, he does a horrible <laughs> job kicking out this linebacker. But at least one thing that he did do is he forced the linebacker inside, so that let Michael P. Ryan cut it outside, and th- then it was just – Besides that last single high safety that you were talking about, there was nobody else that was going to tackle Michael P. Ryan on this play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just that play was insane. Um, this game was insane. Uh, a whole lot of stuff about it was insane, and we didn't even hit everything. Um, no, no, absolutely just, not. But, but it, it's kind of like I said, I mean, we could, we could pot about this game for four hours, honestly. There's so we much. Can, we can pot about the game for longer than the game lasted. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, we do want to we do want to move on um, to a little bit of the the fun that was had after the game. Um, like you said, it was your 21st birthday. Um, tell us a little bit about you know just what it, what Gainesville was like that night. Just as a reporter, as a sports reporter, as a reporter in general. Um, you don't have to completely explain it through that lens, but kind of just describe what it was like to be in Gainesville that night and what the vibe was like and what, like how high everyone's spirits were and what the bars were like in Midtown and just kind of take us what a successful big time win on a college football Saturday can do for a college town like Gainesville. I mean, forget the night. I mean, I'm going to touch on that. But uh, so, like I said before, it was my 21st birthday. I got up pretty early. Uh, This was a 3.30 game, but I was up well before um, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, For the listeners that do know what a game day bib is, I was wearing one. Uh, For the listeners that don't, it was kind of like, you you ever go to those uh, college football games and you see those uh, those kids wearing overalls that are striped with, uh, you know, the college football team's colors. And they have that large pocket at their chest. So I kind of looked like, uh, almost a clown or a jester walking around with, uh, with orange or blue stripes for most of the day. Um, because I was 21, I was able to drink and, um, and drink publicly. So I definitely, I took liberties. Um, I kind of walked around with like before the game, at least two beer cans stuffed in my game day bib. Um, you know, at all times I wasn't, I'm not in a frat, but I was able to get into a frat tailgate. So that was definitely a great new experience for me. So I really had a great time before, during, and after the game, after the game, forget about it. Uh, every single fan 
of Florida went out and immediately rushed from Ben Hill Griffin Stadium across University Avenue, which Ben Hill Griffin Stadium borders, and right into Midtown, which hosts um, a plethora of bars and restaurants and uh, and, and and things of the like. Um, it was just absolutely insane. I, I got out pretty much as quickly as I could as soon as the clock hit zero and uh, and walked right across the street with a sea of orange and blue fans with their heads held high and uh, a lot of cowering Auburn fans with their heads held really low. Um, and uh, just, you know, got a drink with my friends. It was it was a fantastic night, honestly. Uh, so what, what kind of happened? What did your, did you kind of like the same feeling? What did you, what did you and your friends do? Uh, so one thing that's super interesting for this game uh, specifically is one of my roommates who has actually been one of my best friends since like elementary school. Um, he, before transferring to Florida, he went to Auburn for two years. Okay. Um, but he grew up in Jacksonville with me and with our other friends um and he he grew up he grew up a big auburn fan his dad went there um he grew up going to auburn stuff auburn games auburn other stuff um and his brother also goes there as well so he he transferred to florida so so he is a florida student but spent two years at auburn grew up an auburn fan and also brought a whole bunch of Auburn friends with him for that weekend that stayed at our house in Gainesville. Um, so that was really, really, really fun. Um, I made a bet with all of the uh, Auburn people that were there that if Florida won, I was going to get to get them on Snapchat doing a Gator Chomp. And if Auburn won, that they were going to get a video of me singing the Auburn fight song. Um, which I was more than happy to do if Florida had lost because I really don't have any beef with Auburn. Auburn's probably my second favorite SEC team. Um, but that said, uh, that night was awesome. Uh, my roommate's dad, again, who's Auburn alumni, he was in town. He went out with us. Um, my roommate's brother came out with us, all their friends and all our friends. We had a group of, we, we must've had a group of 10 people, um, that all went out and we, we went to the game, obviously it was three thirty kick. Um, obviously we were all at the game, enjoyed the, even the Auburn fans said they enjoyed the game. They said that the Gainesville, that the swamp atmosphere is just, it's, it's not, it's not emulated in really any other place. Um, so they, they still had a good time despite their team losing. They were good sports about losing. Um, and then pretty much we, we didn't go right out to the bars like you did. We went home first um and showered up really quickly and then immediately got to drinking and then got out to the bars around probably 10 um but man that was so much fun um it really makes me sad to to think about what the season might look like with coronavirus and um not just whether games happen but also fans not being in the stands cuz you know i think uh, like i think either one of us would be willing to bet probably any amount of money that the swamp is not going to be full at any point this year. Uh, no, of course not. Yeah. Even if there are fans, it's going to be a limited capacity type thing. Um, and the bars also will either be shut down or again, they'll also be limited capacity and it's going to be really hard to, it's your, it's not even hard. It's going to be impossible 
to emulate something like that this coming season, which does make me sad. Um, even as, you know, an objective reporter that now sits in the press box for games, um, it's just that, like, that's that kind of experience, like the experience that we just talked about is what makes college football so great. And it's really what differentiates it from the NFL, in my opinion, um, because the NFL has other things they can flex, like having better players. Um, yeah, better players, more electric plays, things like that. Right. But that kind of atmosphere and vibe and walking straight from the game to a strip of college bars is not something you can emulate um, anywhere else except college towns. Um, so that won't get to happen much this year, which is sad. But uh, to end on a more positive note, um, Dylan, go ahead and tell us. Just really quickly, give me, um, give me a joke. Like I told you last time, I need a joke out of you. All right, man. I came prepared this time, and I Love found, uh, I found like the cringiest joke that I could possibly find. I want, um, I want to, cr- yeah. I want to fall out of my chair. Right Listen, now. one one of these days, one of these days, I'm gonna think of an original joke, and I'll be sure to let you know. I want full credit, but I cannot take full credit for this one because I did not make it up. Um. So, Graham, why did Shakespeare only write in pen? Uh, I don't even have a guess. I don't know. Uh, it's because pencils confuse him. To be or not to be? <laughs> ah. So, for all of our uh, for all of our listeners that have taken the SAT or will take the SAT or any other college test we've had to bubble in, um, yeah, like you know, to be or not to be, do you need number two pencil or no? I love it. I love yeah. it. At least you That's had good. a joke. I did have a joke. I didn't have to wait and like think about or look for a joke for thirty seconds like I did last time. That was kind of embarrassing. River River schooled me last time. It's true, he did. But I mean. If you're schooled by River when it comes to the joke category, I mean it's 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 not as embarrassing as if anyone else were to school you. No, nah, River's kind of a he's kind of a machine. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but um, that said, this has been the Alligator Podcast. This has been the Remember Sports series, um, where we highlight our favorite and most prominent Gator sports memories and moments. Um, Dylan, go ahead one more time and plug yourself on Twitter and tell us where we can find your stories and tell us what you do for the alligator and all of that fun stuff. All right. All right. All right. Um, you guys can find me once again at Dylan O'Shea 24. You can find my stories at alligator.org. Um, one story that I'd like to highlight particular because Graham did touch on the absence of fans. Uh, the alligator sports writers over the summer, including myself, recently did a series called "What We're Missing," and I wrote the last entry of the series. And I also what wrote a series. Be, yeah, uh, Graham did write as well. Um, I wrote about how we're going to miss fans in uh, sports stadiums and arenas this year. Uh, it's definitely something that I care about. Is going to be something that I miss dearly. Um, I miss my friends. Um, I miss. My fellow UF students, um, I just miss that atmosphere. It's just one of the more enriching experiences in my college career. And as a senior, I'm definitely going to miss it. So be sure to check that out. 
Um, I think it's something that everybody's going to be able to connect to in their own way. Um, and outside of that, uh, I guess look forward to me writing about men's basketball at any capacity in the fall. I mean, and also in the spring, whether games happen or not, uh, we're all still going to be there. Everybody, the alligators still going to be there trying to give you content and uh, doing the best jobs we can, whether it's um, from six feet away or if COVID clears up and we can be uh, in the press box together. Um, well, I'm, so. glad, I'm glad you mentioned that um, because I forgot to even talk about that. But Dylan and I will be beat, par- beat partners on the men's basketball beat. Um, so tune into both of our stories covering those games. Absolutely. Make sure to turn into a uh, women's sports as well. Absolutely. Um, so once again, that said, this has been the alligator podcast. This has been the sports section of the podcast. I am your host, Graham Marsh. You can find me on Twitter at Graham Marsh UF. We appreciate everybody for listening and we will see you guys next time. for listening to the alligator podcast be sure to subscribe leave a review and follow us on twitter at the alligator as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org